Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where a bunch of writers sit around, drink tasty beverages, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your host writers today are David Welsh and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 129, Alternative Steampunk with Lindsay Clark. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi, happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you. I mean, Lindsay and I actually have known each other for quite some time and keep running into each other's paths. And the last time we ran in person, besides Penzik, was a steampunk convention in Seattle. Do you remember SteamCon? I do. I miss it. It was a really good time. I, I love steampunk conventions. What do you love about them besides the clothes? The clothes well, are- okay. I was going to say the clothes, but um, <laughs> I, I really love being able to see all of the different ways that people can be creative with the steampunk aesthetic, not just with the physical clothing, but with their uh, writing and their role-playing games or their board games or their art. And there's, I think there's a a huge opportunity in the pop culture nerddom world of having, um, of doing a lot with steampunk because it is kind of, it's got some specific roots, but it's kind of got a vague and open-ended back end. So you can, you can kind of do whatever really with it. It's true. And you can sort of say, take anything and just say, well, they could have had it in steampunk. There was so much invention going on. And more to the point, there was print and newsletters and papers finally starting to be published. So with printing advances, suddenly everybody could know about your cool. I like them because it's it's all about brass tubing and hot air. So trumpet fits right in. (laughs) And, you know, and a lot of men I know also. Well, the trumpet player fits into then, I guess. Also, also fitting in there. Yes. You wrote, um, Lindsay, besides, I love your short stories and uh, I love some of the work that you've published on your website. You wrote a blog that sort of got me started on this and was originally the, oh, we have to have you to come talk about this. It's a blog called Steampunk Beyond Colonialism. And somehow I feel like right now it is an appropriate time to start talking about how a lot of people think of Victoriana and steampunk, and they do. They think of the Queen, they think of London, and they think of all of the brass fittings and all of the many, many movies. But let's talk about colonialism and steampunk outside of it, right? What does steampunk look like in non-white cultures? Yeah, so I think like when you look at steampunk... Right. Well, actually, a, a really amazing author that I met at a convention once uh, told me her name was Vanessa Robertson. Um, she writes the Canathrope series. Um, she said, and this line sticks with me, and I love it, that there are no third world countries, just countries recovering from imperialism, um, which, you know, made me start really thinking about this topic of the British imperialism and how we could get away from that. Um, because in steampunk, I mean, you look at the name specifically and like steampunk has punk in it. And punk has always been about anti-establishment, going against the man, going against the norm. And the norm in the steampunk era was the Victorian culture, was the imperialistic white British, you know, people, you know, conquering, quote unquote, these other countries. Um, So to think outside of that, I think um, we go down to the roots and say, okay, so what is against the the white Victorian imperialistic man? Right. And, and that's what I loved about, too, of saying we, we get so narrowly focused in that. But there were so many interesting things going on all around the planet. There were 
inventions. Latin America, for instance, I, I went to a Moron's Guide to Latin American History done by John Leguizamo, and I think I muffed up the title, so I'll fix it in the liner notes. But it was he sat down with his son to talk about famous Latin American generals in history, and he realized he didn't actually know any. And yet, there's so many interesting ideas that you could be in Argentina, you know, in Latin America is where we got the color TV, oral contraceptives, the electric brake used on trains. These are all offerings that had nothing whatsoever to do with London and the Queen and the Royal Guard. And yet at the same time, what is more steampunk than television? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, you know, a bunch of tubes and, and wires making magic things well, happen. Like that's totally. I don't know if color television is steampunk. I think it is. Uh, I'm calling 1880 to 1901 is fairly a steampunk time in there. And Hercule Florence was a French Brazilian inventor who's considered one of the pioneers of photography before, you know, Daguerre ever got involved with daguerreotypes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I could totally, especially early color television, I could maybe see it even. I mean, if you even look at like, oh, yeah, look at the early colors, they aren't bright. Right, a box the size of a refrigerator and a screen the size of a postage stamp. Now, <laughs> now that's early TV, yeah. black and white or color. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. I'd go with it. Yeah, and and there was there was a lot going on interesting in the world. Singapore was one of the cores of shipping. So as shipping goes by, they had the best of everything. But I don't think I've ever read a steampunk novel out of Singapore. Have you guys? No. No. no um, I, I tried to find one and. Um, I was I was not super successful, and I was trying to track down the person who told me, told me about it. But there was a whole Australian Southern Hemisphere style steampunk short story anthology, and I think it was called Steampunk Down Under. But I, I searched for it. I didn't put it in my blog because I couldn't find it. But um, but I know it exists out there somewhere. And if anybody does know about it, I'd love to find it. Um, but it was all about Australian writers, and a lot of them had to do with the like the native cultures of the Australian and New Zealand areas and kind of how steampunk would look different down there. Um, I don't know much more about it than that, but I, I like the idea and I want it. Oh, and even within white culture, I mean, the Australians were kind of punk back then. Anyway, they were, they were criminals. They were kind of by definition against the man. Well, they definitely were, but I was also thinking, and this is one of those that I started the rabbit hole of research, which is, probably one of my favorite things in the world. And it was discovering that there was between 1880 and 1886, nearly half a million immigrants went to South America from all over the place to Italy, Spain, France, Russia, German, the, the Swiss, your Belgies. And that's a lot. And that is a major demographic shift. Oh, and that was so a lot back then. It's a huge amount back then, just in six years, half a million people. Like a national census, 1869 was saying there's 1.8 million people in Buenos Aires in 1895. It was 4 million, yeah. of which a quarter of those were foreign born. Yeah. And yet in the 1880s, if you think of the 1880s in America, what do people think of? Well, mm. cowboys. Right. Well, these days, a particularly nasty cold can knock out half a million people in this country alone. So <laughs> this is truth. But there is such interesting diaspora of how humans have moved around for all different reasons in all different areas. And where did they go? And it wasn't just governed by by creativity in big cities in like England, especially. You know, you get a lot of London or New York City. I'm thinking like Age of Innocence. Yeah. And they all had kind of, 
you know, a lot of a lot of the places they had. I mean, some places, you know, they had a bunch of like like water power, for instance, was big in areas where there was coastal communities, and you know, water power can ultimately lead to steam power. And um, I was kind of doing a little bit of research about that as well, um, how like a possibly you know island driven culture could use water power to, to power these electrical contraptions as well. <laughs> Hydropunk. 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 I like it. <laughs> Wait a second. Does this lead to water world? <laughs> but I hope not. Well, maybe actually. No, no, no. I can see it. It's really, you know, the forcing of water through a, a tighter area. How do you, you just need to do the condensing. I, I was reading some of the recent ideas. They had a storing, storing power. How do you store power without huge attenuation over distance and storing? And one of them was a gal that came up a way of saying they were already using air, you know, compressed air. What if it was compressed cold, wet air? Because that condenses so much better than than hot air or other kinds of air, which leads to the hydro, you know, if you condensed cold, wet air in caves, you have a lot of possibility. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely like cold. I mean, cold air can can store a lot of potential. Um, it sounds miserable, but, um, but I can see it. You can see it working. Well, it just reminded me of, of the creativity of humans in their environments using what's available. And in particular, there was a place in Africa where somebody created a coolant wall. And by a coolant wall, they had sawed off the ends of a whole bunch of two liter containers. You know, the rounded part where it, it scoops down into a funnel-like shape and comes out the top. They just cut those off and then they embedded it in brick and you sit behind it. And it takes the hot air coming at you and turns it into a cool air just by condensing it and shoving it together. And I'm like, that's crazy. That doesn't work. So everybody who's listening to this right now, exhale onto your hand and it comes out hot, right? But when you blow, make some kind of embouchure, like you're going to blow a whistle of something, when you blow, the wind is cool just because it's that same hot air, but going through a smaller aperture makes it cold. Or just go look up the ideal gas law. <laughs> PV over T equals. Well, you could, but some of us slept through that part of chemistry. How can you have steampunk without science? Experiment- I mean, that is, that is also very true. Experimentation can create its own part of science and writing down what happens of your experimentation. Right. One does not have to know what has gone before to recreate them in. It sure helps. Otherwise, you're reinventing the wheel. Yes, but what if you don't have a textbook in another country and you're needing to invent a wheel? Then you're recovering from colonialism. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and that kind of brings me to a point that I was thinking of um, with other cultures having discovered different things that would be equally as equally as steam cool as steam power, if not even coming up with steam power on their own. Um, But you know, one of the thoughts of, you know, trying to get away from the, the British um, colonialism idea of all of that, when, you know, you take, like I said, you take aspects of a culture that are integral to the culture, like, um, like, you think of like a, like a South American culture that, you know, in Argentina or somewhere like low, where it's plain, high plains and super windy. Um, you've got all that potential stored there that they would, you know, be able to harness because it's, you know, high plains, and it's got, you know, not a lot of uh, obstruction to the wind and, and so that could be the the birth of some kind of a, a steampunk-esque similar era aesthetic, but with a whole different base of power. Well, the, the whole steampunk, I mean, let's talk about that because you don't want to talk about science. The steampunk <laughs> um, a- aesthetic comes from all the, the, the 
uh, accoutrement of of engineering of the of the era, particularly in 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 Europe and in, in the West. So, what would um, one of these uh, other other regional steampunk? What would the what would the culture look like? What would the I mean, would it would it actually still be steampunk? I mean, without the okay, hydropunk. I mean, is is it still like low tech evolving into high tech sort of effects, or is it? I mean, because it seems like it's all kind of part and parcel to the the technological development of the era. To a certain extent, I can see that, but then you imagine like the ethership imagination that Chaz has used for his crater schools of the ethership's that sail between here and Mars, again, presupposing that Mars could support an atmosphere, etc. Mm-hmm. If you're setting it at the time, you're allowed to use what people thought at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can look at some of the, the turn of the century black and white pictures that were done oh. in the years. So you now know. you've got not only not only the alternative um technologies of these different cultures, but also their their misconceptions as well. Well, the imaginations of them, absolutely. You I mean, say potato, I say potato. <laughs> well, people do it in fantasy. I mean, if you looked at uh, everywhere around the world has a different idea of vampires. And I mean, whether, whether you like Anne Rice or not, when you get to Queen of the Damned, she really did try to write, you know, the first universal vampire theory. That, that I'd ever really seen of, no, no, really, every vampire myth is true, and they are interpreted different ways with these different, you know, classes of, well, no, go read the book if you want, but that it was still just take, taking something from everywhere and saying, everybody has this general idea, how did they all get it? And maybe it's real, and what if it was real? And it really is just one giant what if, isn't it? Right. What if there well, was something that was a better fuel than coal? That's True of all speculative fiction of any stripe, though. It's, it's exactly. what if. Yeah, well, and my one of my thoughts when you say, uh, what would a culture look like if it wasn't um, based on, you know, whatever, the British ideals of, of anything really just steampunk. Uh, the one I came up with that I think was pretty, would be pretty recognizable by a lot of people is Wakanda. I kind of feel as a steampunk society. I mean, it's a little on the fantasy end and there's, I have my own feelings about how it's it's actually portrayed as like, Oh, the noble savage type thing, which is a total trope in itself. But as far as its technology and the way that it's, you know, it's got flying ships, it's got like ground based transportation that moves on some kind of unknown power. It's got this um, magic vibranium, magic vibranium. That, well, yeah, that yeah drives it's, everything. it's all based on a, on a fic- fictional resource that only that country has and can exploit. Oh, but I mean, they're like how seem how is that not steampunk in in a sense of in you know in in the aesthetic way, right? Like. They're, they were well, I mean, I guess that, that in a way is, is kind of my point. If you're pointing to that as an example, that does to me, it doesn't feel like or look like steampunk. Maybe it's maybe it's just the visual. Um, I mean, I um, think I mean, like steampunk it's all is slick an idea. And, slick and modern looking as opposed to well, clunky. And, huh? I mean, I don't know. If you look at some of the artist renditions of some of the stuff, it looks a little bit more steampunk than you would think. Like, I don't know. You go based on just the Hollywood movie. Yeah, okay. But it's Hollywood. Well, that's all I've seen. I haven't. I, um, I don't haven't looked at any of that. So um, I've, I've looked at. I mean, I've I've gone through some of the images and artist renditions and some of the other people's takes, and a lot of it is it's more natural looking. Like it looks like the mountains around it, which kind of makes me back to like less looking, less modern, you know. Yeah. And even though they have these these kind of fancy technologies, they still yeah. have kind of their roots. Um. And you know, but I mean, 
you know, to answer in my thought, to answer the question of like, you know, is it actually steampunk? Uh, my first question or my first answer and my snarky answer is, well, you don't have to be so literal, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, go with the snarky answer. I, that's my go-to nine times out of 10. Anyway, it, it really so. is for him. And well, I was thinking like K- Gail Carriger, who, whom I simply adore. She did urban supernatural. If you think of urban supernatural, here's vampires and werewolves and other sorts of things. And she set them in a steampunk setting in which there are absolutely zeppelins and the prevalency of flying machines, which were slightly more than they really were. And all of the ideas just taken into the what if this was mainstream. And I think to me, that's what the essence of steampunk then is of saying, what if? You know, there's a little bit of fantasy in every single element of it, and that's okay. And I think you can move steampunk a little bit forward into science fiction a little bit too. I mean, it is technically a flavor of science, isn't it? Well, it's technically a flavor of science fiction. It's got both elements, right? Exactly. It's got science, well, engineering, and fiction. So there we are. Let's let's go with Chaz's theory that we've colonized Mars suddenly, and suddenly reality comes up to everybody, and they discover that each of ships can't possibly fly in so suddenly because nobody believes in them anymore. They don't work. So now you have a whole bunch of people stranded on Mars with their tech breaking down. You, it strikes me that you're in a, it's almost like Jonathan Crusoe, Jonathan Crusoe, Robinson Crusoe, <laughs> I mean, Jonathan Swift, wait, right, right. <laughs> you know who I mean, suddenly you're cast away on an island without any support anywhere, practically no help of rescue, you have to use what you have, which is going to be rapidly decaying and dying and come up with something new. That's kind of steampunky, isn't it? I think so. Mm. And I definitely think, I mean, one of my other big thoughts with the steampunk technology is, um, one of the arguments uh, that I had is that steampunk technology doesn't just make rich people's lives better. The steampunk technology that we see, even in the, the Victoriana stuff, is it kind of makes the average Joe's life better, um, makes common folks' life better without them having to be beholden to some higher power, upper class, you know, overlord, whatever. Um, basic little things that can improve, you know, day to day functionality among working class people. Really? How? Because, I mean, in normal kind of Victoriana sort of Oliver Twist land, the common people's lives really kind of sucked pretty hard. I mean, that's because the, the common people's lives sucked in the actual Victorian era. But if you actually get away from that and you look at initial, like the, the beginning books of like science fiction or of steampunk, it's more reflected on normal people using this technology rather than the upper class. The upper class kind of got like in the resurgence of steampunk in like the 2000s when we were you know all wanting to be hoity-toity fancy bitches totally came back but at the very beginning of it back in like the i don't know whatever it was 80s i'm gonna say uh, let's well, go back to the 1960s in the wild wild west which was my favorite steampunk of i watched that series like clockwork i own it now thank you if they reduced it on dvd <laughs> but he lived on a train and he traveled around and Artemis Gordon was constantly, like any magician, inventing new little mechanical devices that did yes. what he wanted them to do. That's exactly what I was trying that's that, that's exactly what I was trying to but something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um and I think like I said, when when the two thousands rolled around the millennium and oh we're so fancy because we're the millennium now, things changed. And like it's really interesting how things changed because I kind of started steampunk right around that time. And initially I started steampunk with a bunch of people who grew up in the 1980s punk scene. And so my steampunk introduction was way more 
normal class people rather than hoity-toity Victorian people, um, which is very interesting to me because it was a bunch of people that were, you know, older than me that had been teenagers in the 80s that had this different idea of what steampunk should be. And when it started becoming big, that's kind of what I got into. And then later it turned into fancy Victorian dresses and all that stuff. So um, I I have a uh, hypothesis for you. You can discuss and or reject it if you like. I, <laughs> in, in, the, in the beginning, well, the, the, the movement from like this imagined steampunk middle class to the technology belonging to all the hoity-toity um, Victorian wealthy people was because in the beginning, there wasn't as much or as good a research and people didn't realize that, well, the middle class didn't really exist as much per se in the Victorian era. So <laughs> we, we kind of projected and said, oh, okay, so, you know, let's just, we're middle class and the middle class, uh, you know, it's just like. Which is dead wrong. Sorry. Uh, well. So uh, oh, like my question is, are we reenactors <laughs> or are we like, are we cosplayers? You know, like, are, yeah. we, are we, are we science fictioners or are we? Well, are we, are I didn't, we, I didn't start the discussion. Of- <laughs> I hold that, you know, I, I, I'm cosplay, but when they start digging into it, I mean, I, I have witnessed K.W. Jeter saying in person in no uncertain terms that he invented the term. And well, it's like, well, jolly good for you, but I worked for IBM and they made counting machines on F of Charles Babbage's difference engines, et cetera. And you can say that anywhere and then you have a machine that counted things. And if you have something that counts things, then you can create anything. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to to do this imaginative or revisionist uh, revisionism might be a little loaded, but that sort of thing, because I mean, with any sort of cosplay or thing where you're like inventing a a world you that's based on a, a, an existing world, you kind of edit out the bad stuff. I mean, we could talk about how horrible colonialism really was, which, you know, kind of was what I thought we were going to be doing at the beginning, but (laughs) we we haired off on technology for some reason, but, but I mean, you know, you, if you're, if you're cosplaying steampunk, you don't, you know, you kind of, it's problematic, right? You're either kind of making fun of the colonialist aspects of it, or you're ignoring it completely um, and just, you know, digging the costumes and the technology, or, you know, you're, you're not walking around with uh, a lot of racist language or what, whatever the racist language was back then. I mean, the, the punk rebellion, though, I think is key to it of, in a lot of ways, especially in the hands of maybe a lot of female writers, there's an interesting thing of women being able to be competent and defend themselves with steampunk where they couldn't in real life. Like, for instance, some of us remember that really long hat pins became illegal for a time because women were using them on the street against men that were copying a feel. And it was considered to be, oh, no, no, men are getting hurt by this. We should take the hat pins away without anybody saying, maybe we shouldn't fondle women in public. But yeah, that, that's exactly. Um, and, and one of the, as far as steampunk uh, literature goes, there's a, um, Carrie Vaughn does the short story series, Harry and Marlowe. And yeah. Harry is the princess Henrietta from the Victorian era. And she goes off on steampunk adventures with her general captain of the guard or somebody in her army and they go on like airships and and it's a steampunk thing where she dresses as a boy and like it's kind of based on some factual stuff where i think the the princess would actually dress as a boy and go sneak out um but it's based on like it's a steampunk one and it was kind of it was one of my first introductions into a lot of like steampunk literature um 
And, and in her world, the steampunk technology is from aliens that crash landed on Earth. And so they were using alien technology to power stuff as well as steam. Um, but it just had this female character that was, you know, a female princess, like upper class, but like sneaking out, hanging with the, hanging with the soldiers, having adventures, um, which I think really fits the punk, the punk aspect of steampunk um, and got me, one's one of the reasons why that got me super interested in, in kind of the general, like, you know, well, the possibility it, it, of fiction. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take your point, I guess at cons, especially with just the cosplay and <clears throat> excuse me, that kind of stuff. Um, I think the, the steam is emphasized and you don't see as much of the punk sort of. Oh, uh, I don't know. I've seen fish an awful lot of fishnet that would beg to disagree because. Well, I mean, punk in the sense, not, not, I mean, punk in the sense of it being a rebellion or a, a, a reaction to uh, colonial slash um, white male dominated culture. Well, was the rise of Steve punk also because we were really entering a digital age and everything was suddenly online. And, you know, I wonder if some of the writings that became really big, as you were pointing out in the eighties and nineties, were they kind of a reaction? Were people taking refuge in the past and saying, I want science fiction, but I want old science fiction. Yeah. And I mean that, you know, there's, there's something to, to that kind of like alternate, alternate past future, I guess. I don't know. Like if, if steampunk became the thing that was powerful and rather than like, you know, gasoline or whatever and, and how that progressed toward the future. Um, there's, I think there's kind of refuge in the alternate future thing. Like maybe things would be better if we did X, Y, and Z instead of what we had done. Right. Well, and I would posit that the diehard people can shoot at me. And I know Dave probably will when I say this, but <laughs> is an ether ship to Mars any crazier than a warp drive? Yeah, no, oh. I, I don't think so at all. No. But, yeah. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, that either, kind of begs you know? the question: Why, why do some um, alternate histories or alternate universes um, catch on so well, like steampunk, um, and you know, like the Star Trek universe, and and some don't? I mean, why don't we have uh, you know bronze punk or stone punk or red um, punk? What red punk? Red punk or fairy punk? Those yeah, are, those are ones. That well, I, you know, and I'm sure point. they're you know, I like I'm sure they're punk. niche markets, but. Um, you don't hear nearly as much about them and they, they're not as big in this think, world of digital online mashups. Like everything exists now. I can't, I can't make the argument that it doesn't exist, but I'm asking why is, why is steampunk so popular? Why did it blow up the way it did rather than something else? You know? Okay. I have a theoretical answer and I have a more practical answer. Um, my more practical answer was somebody talking at one of the conventions I was at and they were in like somewhere in the Midwest and the steampunk convention started getting big and they just didn't have a lot of, it was a very conservative area. They were very religious and there was like a very structured, like this is the norm and steampunk somehow showed up in there and became this inclusive place for all the weirdos mm -hmm. to go weirdos, quote unquote, in the sense of didn't follow the standard conservative, whatever, you know, people who were alternate genders, alternate sexualities, alternate culture, super nerdy, you know, related to science fiction, related to fantasy. And it kind of drew in a lot of people from a lot of different genres. And it kind of drew them into a, a, an aesthetic that had very, very clear, very clear definitions of how to be that aesthetic. Gears, clocks, brown, green, crazy guns made out of scrap, you know. Glasses and hats. Glasses, hats, you know, pipes. Right. And so you could take whatever nerddom, fantasy, science fiction aesthetic you wanted and kind of bring it into steampunk and kind of add a couple things and be included into a group, a social group 
of people that would pretty much accept you. One of the things somebody said was that the steampunk, the steampunk cult, um, subculture in like the U.S. has been far more inclusive than a lot of other science fiction. Um, okay, I like so, that answer. I, I I'll buy that. So, what's your theoretical <laughs> answer? Um, Wait, so, I, I wanted to add one more point onto that, if I can. We experienced that out here in the Bay Area that the the steampunk clockwork alchemy, which was fabulous was part of Baycon, but then it kind of got moved to shuffled aside because some of the people decided, I don't know, maybe that it just wasn't serious enough as as the true literature people that wanted to, you know, talk in Baycon. Whereas the Comic-Con people said, you know, hey, we like wearing costumes. You like wearing costumes. Come, our brothers, let us all wear costumes together. The fact that mine has more latex and your has more gear and, you know, glass, cool. Yeah, and, and that so that kind of goes into my theoretical um, example, which kind of goes into my practical example, which all kind of works together. So it's just one giant cluster of everything. Um, but my my theoretical example is that like I have attended I have attended the Colorado Steampunk Convention every year, but two. One of them was actually 2020, even though they had it, it was pre pandemic. And then I think like the very first one they had, and I've done everything from you know I've done steampunk. I've done, you know, cyberpunk-ish post-apocalyptic steampunk. I've done diesel punk steampunk. I've done fantasy steampunk. I've done underwater steampunk. I've done a bunch of other stuff. It's it's kind of, it's general enough in its um, umbrella description that you can kind of take, you can do anything with it. Um, and it all just kind of fell out of the umbrella of steampunk, which is why earlier I, I gave you a hard time about being so literal um, because I think the actual subculture, it doesn't really give a shit about steam. Um <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of ways no, I, like only I'll, I'll a small that. subsector of of the steampunk culture actually well, I, does steam related stuff yeah and i think the way i rationalize that as i'm listening to you is you know look it's a it's a made-up culture based on you know some historical sorts of things but it's not trying to recreate history it's trying to twist it into something else and furthermore it's a loose genre that contains all these tangents that you were just mentioning. So if you're going to a convention, then, you know, um, the, the whole point is to kind of groove on one of these things and, and have high production values and, and be cool. It's not to, it's not to be authentic in some way, like, like playing SCA in some areas or with some groups as, or, or, yeah. you know, historical reenactors or something. It's also very yeah. open. It is open to people with different challenges and physical disability in ways that some of the other reenactment groups might not be. Well, right. But the yeah. question then is, is that, is that because it's, is that because it's so inclusive of all this other stuff and you can't really say no, or is, is it the other way around? Is it just a bunch of inclusive people who have landed on a genre that happens to look inclusive? Yeah. Um, because I, I do think, I mean, I think too, going back to um, going back to the whole colonialism thing, I think this is why steampunk can really, really efficiently accommodate other cultures and you don't have to you know be so fixated on Victoriana in steampunk because of this kind of inclusive mentality. Um, and, and not just in the cosplay world or the social get together world. Like if you look at literature too, um, and some of, you know, like I, um, one of the, one of the books I found, which I haven't actually read yet um, because my, my to be read list is very long, but there's a, a book called the gunpowder Academy, gunpowder alchemy, um, gunpowder alchemy. part of the, the gunpowder chronicles. And it's a, a Chinese 
based steampunk-esque uh, world that bases off of what um, technology China was developing at the same time period. Um, there, you know, there's that one, and then there's all kinds of cosplayers that have a culture of their own. They grew up in um, Indian or Middle Eastern or African that have incorporated some of the cultural aspects of their culture into steampunk or steampunk into their culture or vice versa. Um, and it easily is believable. Um, you know, like as much as that, as much as cyberpunk is dear to my heart, I have a little bit of a harder time. You know, there's a very, it's way more specific than steampunk is just based on, on what's out there. Of all of this, where do you love writing? As I say, and what, do you, what are you working on in a steampunk world right now? So I do have a concept. It's kind of been backburnered since I'm trying to finish my cyberpunk series, but I do have a concept of a steampunk. Well, I guess it starts being Renpunk because it starts with Leonardo, but eventually it's going to be a novel and it's going to be like a typical, um, maybe adventure story with a steam. And, and I think it's going to have aliens, but, um, it'll be in the, in the steampunk world. Um, set actually in the Middle East with steampunk adventures from the Middle East, searching for lost stuff from Leonardo da Vinci. So, you know, incorporate some of my medieval nerdism. Um, as well as steampunk. <laughs> I don't so have a title for it yet, but... I was going to say, it sounds like you're a little bit of a plotter rather than just a full-on pantser, or...? I'm, I am a plotter, yes, to the to the core now. I, I used to be a pantser, and after rewriting an entire two novels, I decided that plotting is probably smart. <laughs> so, so, What advice would you give a new person just starting out in this, then? They want to um, write. Maybe they want to write steampunk. Besides so, reading steampunk, what besides, would you advise? Besides reading steampunk, well, my, my biggest piece of advice for anybody with any genre is um, I definitely suggest doing some research first. Obviously, try not to rabbit hole because we all do that uh, and then it'll, it'll, it could prevent you from writing. Um, but my biggest advice for a new writer um, of any genre is, um, and I'm going to get, I, maybe I'm going to get a lot of glares and snarls from people from, for this advice, but don't sit down and just write something unless that's something is a plan, even if it's a small plan, even if it's like six bullet points of like beginning, sub beginning, middle and end. But I definitely feel like having at least a higher goal overall plan will serve you super well in your writing. Because if you write just what you feel like, you're gonna be writing, be rewriting. And if that's what you want to do, that's cool. That's on you, you know, have fun with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we will put links to all the things that we've mentioned on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming with us today. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Riders Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer, backup web spider and host is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is your favorite coffee shop. Go write something there today. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>